Welcome to Community Decoded, the podcast where we explore the intersection of community and technology. I hope you're ready for another awesome and exciting episode. I'm your host Supriya and I'm stoked to announce our special guest for today, Ash Wesley, Programming and Education Lead at Coho. Ash has a ton of experience in community building and nurturing and we are super pumped to dive deep into his insights and best practices. As we na- navigate through the ever-changing world of community building, Ash will share his expertise on building and maintaining an awesome community, including the challenges and positive moments that come with it. We'll explore the importance of being real, caring, and exclusive in community building, and how technology is shaping the way we connect and engage with our communities. So grab a cup of coffee, lean back, and get ready to immerse yourself in the exciting world of community building. Join us as we learn from Ash Wesley. Can you share some learnings and insights from all the community experiments that did not work at Coho or on deck? I think one thing that a lot of community managers were thinking of and, and we did as well too was the whole like Zoom experience. And like a lot of the communities that were online primarily, um, it was how do we kind of like craft experiences that like don't seem like Zoom as much? Um, and so what we we tried various different platforms and there was an element of almost creating like a little metaverse space or like a virtual office that everyone in the community can kind of like log into and like work from uh during the day um and so yeah we created a space in a tool called like gather.town um this is kind of it behind me it's kind of like a little virtual office people have like little desks like um areas to work in and whatnot um but yeah the I think anytime you introduce a new tool and why Zoom worked so well is that everyone had to install their computer. Everyone knew how it worked, you know, after the first couple months, um, it was like low friction to join. But once you introduced a new tool where people had to kind of orientate themselves and in this tool, like you use the arrow keys to move around a virtual avatar, um, it didn't have as much adoption as we wanted to. Um, Luckily, you know, you can still kind of, uh, you know, there's a number of these types of tools out there. You can still kind of create these spaces. And even if like 10 people in your community find it very valuable, a place to meet for a mastermind or a place to meet and just have a conversation that isn't Zoom um, or even like a community event, it's still like quite nice. And we've still like kept it open since, but it wasn't uh, like a hundred percent adoption of like fully transferring from Zoom to a, a space like this, for example. So that was one of our experiments. Um, Another one was doing a weekly weather report um, and in just like a different way of like almost like doing a digest. So I added one here behind me. Um, we asked uh, what their favorite question was. We had like the song of a day that was like coming up. Um, I'd say this one kind of failed because it was kind of introduced partway through the community and wasn't like fully realized. And it was hard for people to kind of relate the weather analogy into like what the community was. So. I think if I would do another iteration of this, I would think more of like, what are some of the community symbols and like mascots and like elements and like really intertwine it into its like own special digest instead of maybe just like a plain newsletter or like email digest too. So I think a better way to like, or like a visual, a better way to visually represent content was one of them and a better like a zoom alternative was another one. So um, yeah, I would call them more like iterations than actual uh, like failed experiments. Um, so I'm going to keep iterating and see where those go next. Um, on the IRL side, just in case if your question was around that too, um, I think 
always picking a place. And one of my previous answers was about somewhere that's familiar, but then also has like a an air of unexpectedness. Um, there was a couple times where we would maybe book a place like a restaurant or a place like in London where we do some of the meetups and maybe like the food or the cuisine wasn't like incredibly, that was a little like generic, let's say. Um, and it was kind of like safe, but I think we found the most success where there was something unique about the venue or location and, or like even the menu or like there was a story to it and it just immediately helped with like dialogue and the conversation at the table. Um, and then just like the memories and people sharing, like even just people sharing on, on like social media about the event afterwards is like a huge boost and like visibility for the community. And that happens with a place with unique decor or a place with like a unique menu or story. Um, one of the co-working spaces where we did this in a setting, it's actually like a WeWork, but this WeWork actually had like a, a, a hidden doorway or like a hidden room behind a bookshelf. And even just that like novelty aspect um, helped more so with like engagement, people attending rather than just like booking a, a generic office space and expecting people to show up. So that's more like an IRL experiment, lesson learned example. But yeah, great question. Have you ever built rituals for communities? If yes, how did you make them? Yes. Yeah, so rituals, I think we all kind of recognize are really important. Again, there's there's so much to experiment with as a community manager, but Rituals really like anchor your community and give them like all your community members, almost like a default of like, no matter what's going on, if they only have a little bit of time or their, their focus isn't, you know, hundred percent that week, what's something they could just like default to feel like they've contributed to the community and, and also maybe get something back out. Um, probably the bit, like the biggest ritual, like on deck is the mastermind ritual. So this was inspired actually by a, uh, a, almost a mastermind group that KP from Twitter created in Atlanta called Zero to One Makers. It was a mastermind group that met every Friday at 4 p.m. I was lucky and very fortunate enough to join. Um, that's also uh, where I got to know Sherith as well too. Um, amazing experience. And basically how that was con constructed was that KP had three very simple questions for everyone in that mastermind, um, which met at the same time every week on Friday. And it was, what have you worked on in the past week? what is something you're going to work on in the week ahead? And then also what's your favorite no code tool? And those kind of three questions brought some form and structure to that ritual. Um, and then, so you kind of knew it going in, like how to prepare, what to expect. And then equally um, each of those questions like did some subtle things. So one of them was the accountability of just like what you're working on. You knew that, you know, bringing, you know, your, your work to the session, people knew what you said you were going to do. And then if you've like delivered it by that week, um, that is to say, like, people are also very understanding if stuff happens and you don't complete a hundred year tasks, but it's just, um, it's a, that element of accountability. And then the, uh, favorite no code tool question was actually really interesting because it was either a way to kind of like, um, it start really easy of like, okay, there's, there's a lot going on. I don't know how to explain it, but like just saying what my favorite tool is, um, is something that like is easy. is like low friction for somebody to start off with or contribute or for them to wrap up, um, their, their kind of piece or what they're sharing. Um, it's like a nice little like dot on the, the eye or like crossing a T or something like that. It just like wraps up their, their speaking part really naturally. So that translate a lot inspired a lot for the masterminds in the on deck no code fellowship um how we paired them it was very interesting there was lots of insights on what makes a good mastermind group 
Um, I would group people, number one, I think just being able to meet at the same time every week, that's an important element of a ritual. So the first question was, what times are you available in the week? And then I did like a mass kind of grouping based on who was available in the same time zones. Then from there, I would assign different tags to their outcomes and their goals, whether that was looking to learn a new tool, whether that was to build an MVP in a certain vertical, whether that was um, uh, like one of their industry backgrounds. And then basically then did like a second layer of grouping from there. And then almost like a third layer of grouping after that, I've just kind of maybe seen like who is friends already, um, who making sure that like the groups were all like diverse and like had a good number of people in the, in the room and was like well-balanced too with like different backgrounds, but ultimately um, making sure that each group had like a similar outcome. They all want to achieve a similar thing because that is something that builds a good ritual that they can like help each other, um, you know, in the weeks ahead as they meet up on a regular basis. So the mastermind ritual, I found a lot of value in and making that at on deck no code was um, incredibly insightful. Uh, got to see how that played out over a number of different groups. I'd say another surprising insight to that ritual was teams that solved a problem together in the very first week actually um, were more likely to like stick together through the mastermind throughout the whole program than teams who maybe joined, maybe had like some different things to share, but they weren't actually like unified by a similar goal. So you can almost make them feel like a team, um, make them feel like they want to achieve something, even if it's like a friendly competition between other people in your group and like other rich or like other groups and other people doing masterminds. Um, I think that's a good thing. Um, and the last 20 seconds I'll say too, another easy ritual that we just started maybe during a period of low engagement, like a summer, it's just like a question of the week. And it could just be like, what'd you do over the weekend? Or it could be tailored to what your community's interests are. So simple question of the week, easy to answer, but it's regular, happens at the same time every week. That's a good one too. How can community builders leverage no code to make their lives easier? What are some of your no-code tool recommendations for community builders? Also super curious to know more about Coho's vision and anything that you can share on what's on the cards for 2023. As as you full well know, uh, I'm a huge fan of no-code. Um, Sherith was a huge uh, part of that, uh, encouraging me while I was a, a young builder just on Twitter, putting some stuff out there and really encouraging me to like build a habit and like deep dive into no-code and what it can do. So. Um, the biggest thing I think that no code allows is that it really empowers community builders, especially if you don't have like a, a technical background necessarily, it allows you to do things with tech, with, with different types of tools, um, for your community and makes you more efficient, helps automate some of the boring processes away. So there's, there's so many things that no code can help with on like ops and automation side, but also like on an MVP side, if your community is um, you know, kind of, kind of pushing you to create, whether it's like a new directory, um, maybe it's like a list of tools or resources, or maybe like building out like a, a one-on-one guide in, in like, even like a tool like Notion, for example, um, you can now do that with no code tools. So it allows you to build faster and build more visually. So more like kind of drag and drop. So I'm a huge fan of no code tools. I think it does unlock like a lot of ideas and I think community builders can especially benefit from that. Some of my favorite no-code tool recommendations. I mean, um, I'm sure a lot of community builders organize like their lives in Notion already. Even with Notion, there's a lot of really like efficient little plugins um, and snippets and tools. I use like 
the notion snippet um, builder just as I'm browsing the internet, it's like my new bookmarks now so that my bookmarks aren't a mess somewhere else. I can put them in notion and then categorize. And then if there's like good resources for the community, it's right there already. And we can just move it to their guidebook or binders. Um, of course, uh, Airtable is like anything you can basically put a CSV or like a, a data in a CSV file, like kind of populates like all the no code tools. It's like the ultimate database. So Airtable's one definitely would invest in those Airtable skills. Zapier, again, you've probably heard of is the glue that kind of sticks the internet together. Um, I think once you start making your first few zaps, it could be really fun. Um, an example of like a first one that I, I started with was just like making a simple zap where it was a form where users in the community can drop like their uh, favorite music or songs just to like add to the playlist. It would add to like an Airtable base and just kind of like log there as like a record. And then it would also, uh, with Zapier, you can populate your Spotify playlist right away. So I didn't have to like manually add the songs. They were all just there waiting a playlist for me to like listen to. So you get kind of music with like a, this automated process with the manual drag and drop it. So yeah, great examples of some like no code tools. Of course, like a, uh, if you want to build a bigger directory, software is a great one for that. And then like, mailing out, sending newsletters and stuff like a mailer light or like a Substack would be like good tools for that. Um, second part of the question is curious to know more about Coho's vision, anything you kind of share what's on the cards for 2023? Yes. So Coho is the new kind of spinoff company from OnDeck. It's all the programs that primarily focus on careers. So again, think like engineering, data science, design, we've got chief of staff, marketing and business development and sales all wrapped up into that. So essentially it's kind of a community for manager level and above where people in their roles kind of realize they're the, the number of mentors or people they can get experience from that's higher than them is, is kind of shrinking the, the more they level up in the company. So it's a community to learn from other experts and learn and grow together. And so that's where the whole kind of slogan direct to experience comes from is that you're learning from other people who have literally just done what you're trying to do. It's not about taking a course or going back for some more post-secondary education where it may take a number of years for them to incorporate something into their curriculum where the market is changing. You need to do that right now. So that's the whole ethos behind Co, a community where you can get that direct experience from other members uh, in real time and chat through that through various rituals like curated connections and masterminds and learning tracks so that if you want to level up a certain skill or whether it's like uh, a technical skill or a soft skill, you've got some learning material to discuss, but more importantly, a community of people that can be supportive and help you out. Um, 2023 in the last 10 seconds, I can say we're kind of redesigned the, the curriculum from the ground up. So there's gonna be a bunch of fresh new content um, and six programs all working together for some cool stuff. How Coho B2C and how OnDeck B2B have different type of engagement challenges? Uh, this is a great question too, because it goes back to like understanding your community members and, and like kind of knowing really like how much time they have to contribute, what their expectations are in the first place. So even just to say, I like a little tip is like setting expectations at the start, like when you, you know, first onboard members is so key to like how they experience your community, like going forward. Um, so Coho between OnDeck and Coho, especially the comparison. So again, OnDeck had a number of programs, like over 20 at one point, and every program had its own specific different flavor. 
I can speak a bit more to the no code one because the type of persona that was coming through was an aspiring founder, somebody who wanted to build an MVP in a short period of time, like between eight to 10 weeks. So in terms of engagement challenges, you knew that, again, everyone's got like lives, they got family, work, friends, like things going on. But with the on-deck no-code program, people kind of almost set aside like around two months and they were committed. They knew they were maybe going to spend five to 10 hours a week on like a certain amount of, of content, whether that was um, working with other fellows, co-building, building their own MVPs, attending sessions, that kind of thing. So again, going back to the expectation setting, they were more inclined to like contribute more time. And they knew it was like almost like a short sprint. It was like eight to 10 weeks. And I, th I think thinking of almost like phases in your community like sprints, it helps people frame of like, okay, maybe this is a topic I'm interested in or outcome that I want to achieve. And they can like allocate the time accordingly versus it being more like a marathon. Is it like a 12 month um, type program? And then so they they need to make sure that they pace themselves accordingly so they don't like run out of energy trying to contribute all all in the front. So switching gears from the on deck to Coho, Coho is 12 months instead of like eight to 10 weeks. So the engagement's much different because we can't expect, you know, each fellow, especially if they're a busy career professional, to contribute five to 10 hours each week of like programming. So what we've done instead is tried to make sure everything is async or there's an async option so people can complete on their own time, their own schedule, and also drastically reduce the amount of live sessions per week. So instead of five to 10 hours, maybe it's like an hour max, and that's um, includes like a mastermind session or like a curated connection. It's really trying to also facilitate more so the conversations and the, and the, the safe spaces for all these professionals to share, um, rather than like a set curriculum or like a set tutorial, like how to build something. Um, so I think that's the other thing with the engagement is with Coho and like a lot of the professionals, it's building up that trust within all the members. Um, whereas maybe like a no code program or like a founders program, they're focused mainly on like an outcome and building a, a MVP. And that's not to say there's going to be elements of crossover for both, but I'd say the biggest engagement challenge is career professionals with Coho probably don't have a lot of time in the week. So be more mindful of valuable conversations they can have. And then something where it's a, a build type program um, for a set period of time giving people more so the resources to, to build for their MVP or their certain outcome. Um, and then just in general, like if you've got a community that, you know, isn't like a short sprint, it lasts on a long period of time. Engagement wise, just recognizing that there's kind of different phases that people go through. So um, I think a lot of community professionals know it's like in the Northern hemisphere, when it's the summertime or when there's like, you know, national holidays, engagement kind of dips. It's how do you kind of plan for that so that the members of your community don't feel guilty because they like missed out or they should be contributing when rightfully so they want to spend time with family and friends. It's just kind of like things like that working in with your curriculum, which we're mindful of both, um, both my time at On Deck and Coho going forward. But yeah, great question on, you know, different communities and different potential engagement challenges they both face. How did you make sure all of your community members gel together? What is that one thing that you think sets On Deck community apart from other communities? Um, yeah, great questions. You know, anytime you kind of see something working, you're kind of wondering like, okay, so what is that secret sauce or the, the magic that's make it, that makes it work? Um, and so 
to answer your first question, actually, I think that it actually isn't necessary for you to make sure all your community members gel together. Um, I think it's actually it would be quite a, a huge task for you as a community manager to make sure everyone was friends in your community. I think the biggest thing to do in your community is make sure that everyone respects each other and that everyone, um, you know, appreciate everyone is there for a reason, but you don't necessarily need everyone to gel or make friends or interact in a community. And so the, the fellowships at on deck were, you know, and it, like, like around a hundred people or so, again, they varied in size, but out of those hundred people, we definitely didn't expect that everyone to meet everyone and everyone to be friends with everyone. So just wanted to mention that first, I think, maybe it takes some stress off as a community manager that you don't need everyone to be friends more. So just like everyone respect everyone else in the community. And I think that comes in with having community guidelines and setting expectations like during kind of your kickoffs or your onboarding or initiation for a community. Um, so that's one of the things, um, that being said, um, to get certain groups to gel together. Now that was important. You definitely want, kind of friend groups or, or folks either focusing on the same task or outcome to kind of work together. And so I mentioned some other video replies around mastermind groups. Um, that was that was very important for us, for the those groups to gel together. And so uh, one of those key things was just people being able to meet at the same time. Obviously, if people can meet, um, you know, actually like virtually and chat, um, that's a key aspect of them like gelling together. Uh, another thing was like what their outcomes and interests were too. So if they want to learn a particular tool or build an MVP in like an e-commerce space or something, for example, um, when people want to like build the same thing, like they'll support each other in those outcomes to like build that together. Um, and so, yeah, looking, taking all that data um, on board and then making like micro little, like almost again, if you want to think of it as like a study group in university, obviously there's, there's hundreds of students maybe in a class or program, but you only need like a few of them to gel together to be like a study group to like learn and grow together too. So just wanted to note that for your first question, but the one thing that you think, um, yeah. So around like the one thing that sets on deck community apart from other communities, I really think is the positive sum mindset and the giving first aspect. Um, and that's like common to like all the applications. Um, definitely that. And then, and then also people who like have demonstrated uh, uh, ability to like do that already, um, who are already, who are already building, who are already, um, connecting people in their community. It's, it's kind of one thing for people to, you know, say that or mention that, but like, you really want to look as somebody who's maybe evaluating new members of, of like ways those members have demonstrated these, these attributes in the past. And so while I think that was like the one thing that sets it apart is because it really, actually helps to take care of like a lot of the engagement for you. I think there's there's a, a time and a place for a person to like like a very async course, very kind of checkbox, go through the list um, and like consume data or knowledge or whatnot from that. But like wanting to be in a community is a very different um, experience. And so really understanding who is up for that community experience and part of that you know, being a good community is that people do things for each other. People recognize each other, people, you know, support other people in the community. And whether that's asking questions, whether that's just reaching out and, and or even like in their DMs and posting their favorite dog meme or something like that too. Um, so I think really being intentional and filtering about the, for the problem, for the positive sum mindset, and also 
um, you know, giving first attitude that really sets your community apart than other ones. Um, yeah, something I would always consider in my communities going forward as well too. But yeah, great question. How do you craft experiences in your community that will keep the members coming back? We all know kind of when members join communities or as this community grows, there's always kind of this like hype and excitement. When people first join, everything's new and fresh. But then kind of over time, we think of, okay, well, how do we like create a space such that folks can still come back given like the context of their situation, like what's going on in their life um, and still be able to like engage with the community on a regular basis. Um, my approach to this, uh, I kind of think of like two, two kind of thoughts in general from my own experience with community um, and then also running a couple of communities as well too. The first one is keeping a familiar format but still adding elements of surprise or delight as you go through. So example of this is potentially like, you know, you have a community, maybe you host like regular events and you have like a Zoom webinar or like a Zoom call or something like that. Yes, the format's very familiar. People don't have to like download new technology or set up new technology just to join your call. And that makes it easier for people to engage, lowers the friction. But then on the call itself, um, is there kind of, some sort of like extra little novelty. Maybe again, you have like some welcome music. There's like a tune of the week and people just like tune in and they they know they're gonna be getting something new, maybe something new for their playlists. Um, so that's an example of like things I've used in the past to kind of balance that. Um, the other element is is probably uh, a wider topic and trickier to, to delve into, but um, I'll probably be referencing this a lot through all the questions. Uh, but Sherith has recommended the David Spinks' book, Business of Belonging. I'm sure a lot of people have read this here. Um, really that element of belonging um, is something to always keep in mind to have people keep coming back. And that could just be as simple as like following up. Um, we have things like channels, like gratitude channels or like small wins channels. And whenever somebody posts in there, of course, like we want to react immediately, you know, cheer them on, even if they're struggling with something, still kind of respond to that. And then just kind of like follow up like a week, couple of weeks later and just say, hey, like, I know you were dealing with this with a couple of weeks ago. Um, is this still the case? Can I help you with anything? You know, kind of just like meet them where they're at and then also make them feel heard and that uh, that like you care about like what has been going on in their life. Um, I think those kinds of things. And then as your community scales, embedding that into your values and your culture and getting other people to check in. Um, other community members to to catch up with people, um, follow up with people. That's a really good thing to bring that sense of belonging. And that helps community members keep coming back. What are your top three ways to drive engagement in your community? And on the no code, it very much, we under, like there's a purpose that everyone is there to basically build like an MVP. Um, so that was, I guess, an example of a community that was very outcomes focused. Um, so I think for us, it was really important to understand what each individual's like goals and interests were. Um, so that's basically just having like a robust intake form. Um, and then like also allowing their intros when they do like intros in like an intros channel on Slack, for example, to like showcase a little bit of their personality. Um, we found like, you know, if you just look at all the engagement uh, on that initial intros, when people stop in and say hi, like having those little fun facts or like extra little things to use in their in their bio to like as icebreakers for example got the most engagement versus maybe more type like a linkedin type uh, personal profile that's a little bit more professional and straightforward so that'd be my first one um understanding like the community's goals and interests and then like using that as like little threads that people can 
uh, start conversations off of. And then like, you could also start conversations in your Slack channel, knowing that, um, you know, obviously if it's a no code community posting about no code tools versus an anime community, maybe talking about like the latest anime movie release, for example. So I think just like understanding those goals and interests up front, and then like leading some of the conversations based around those things and, and what you know that people are curious about. Uh, the second one that helps drive engagement is just really making it easy to engage, like make it frictionless, help reduce that overwhelm, you know, for, for reducing overwhelm is like, you know, a common thing that made people mention around like Slack channels and too much data that's coming through. So just like creating a Slack user guide. And this is like your one step, like area to like, look at through like how to actually use Slack. And like, maybe there's like a tip as a, we'll maybe like add a tip at the very top of like, okay, if, if all else fails, you've got a really busy day, you've got a lot going on, just like, you know, use an emoji to react to somebody or just like say good morning, the good morning channel, for example. Um, it gives an easy like kind of default option. So they feel, they feel like they've still interacted, um, but it's not like a, like a huge checklist for them to do. So making a frictionless, helping reduce overwhelm is two, um, especially maybe providing some different levels, like for introverts and extroverts, just kind of like understanding the different personality types goes back to point one a little bit too, but yeah, just how can maybe a, an introvert kind of contribute? Um, and also think of like extroverts, if they, they really like to have like a social or a session, um, where they can like chat with other people versus an introvert. Maybe they just want to like reply in the comments and do an async activity. Uh, the third one I'd probably say is get help from your other community members. Um, as your community grows, it's going to take a ton of your time to, you know, reach out to everybody, check in with everybody. Um, but one of the, the values I think of a great community is that the members do care about each other. Um, they do feel like what they contribute is something that they're going to get in return. And so really kind of encouraging like your all-star members to start to become these like stewards of the community as well. And also um, reach out, like maybe, you, you know, you're going to post a, uh, Hey, would everyone do this weekend type thread on your Slack channel, kind of seeding the other, like all-star members, like in advance, like just send them a DM, like, Hey, I'm going to like post a Slack thread. Do you mind like adding your comment within the first few minutes? Um, that's also something that they'd be more than willing to do. And then it helps start that snowball effect of like a few comments at the start. And then you know, it gets the, the thread going because other people see that there's people contributing to it. So that's probably the third thing I'd say to drive engagement is actually like get other members of your community, like the all-stars to help, you know, build the conversation up as well. So it's not always you starting it each time. And it feels like it's a place like everyone can contribute. Everyone can say something and everyone is got like a really cool opinion to add to the conversation. Yeah. Great question though. Yeah. Engagement's always at the top of our mind for sure. You have a ton of experience building communities on Slack. So what are some battle tested initiatives that work really well for community engagement? Also, according to you, what do you consider the highest value that defines a solid community builder? Uh, this is, I mean, I think we've all noticed, especially when there's like competing distractions for your community members, how do you kind of, you know, jazz up Slack, make it an exciting place for, for folks to come back to. Um, I probably have three things that now I've like thought of off the top of my mind here. So the first thing is setting expectations. So this one's like a day one thing, just like right from the get go. So one thing is having, like we do it on deck, no code is having like an actual session on like how to actually use Slack, um, and showing people like what good looks like. So again, you'd be surprised and people use Slack in different contexts. People use other different like shared tools and whatnot as well too. 
but just like showing not only like what the guidelines are, are of your community, but like also like posts of like what even forms a good question and like, is it maybe even proceeding with the right emoji or is it um, just like how it's structured in like, if you do an ask and offers channel, like is the ask even clear and you'd be kind of surprised on sometimes that gets lost or even just like threading um, messages. Cause sometimes, you know, your Slack channels can get a little crazy and messy. Um, I think just like setting those expectations at the start is like a really key one. Um, number two, yeah, stems from stems from all that, but like leading by example. So again, showing people what good looks like. You have to be posting yourself on Slack. Again, this may be an obvious thing, but you want to be showing people the examples of what to expect in, of the posts in each of the different channels. Um, and then as you kind of set the example, start to highlight and like cheer out like with other or different members of your community that also are you know, having great questions, great posts. And then everyone else starts to understand like, oh, this is what good looks like. I'll start to be more mindful and intentful of what I post on Slack. Um, and also it goes with that too, is setting examples of almost having like a, a Slack document uh, that people can refer to if they need to rem remind themselves of like what goes on what channel and using actually the dis channel descriptions as well too um, for like quick reminders. Again, we're probably all like full of 8,000 different Slack channels. They all maybe have slightly different um, rules to them. So like if you can kind of provide those guidelines in a very visible way, that definitely helps. Um, the third one is, yeah, create a few little rituals and they can just be even like fun rituals within your Slack space. It could be, again, like share a photo of your pets on Fridays, starting off the week with like an easy poll or like, you know, what did you do over the weekend? Um, yeah, just like low friction ways for your community to engage and that they expect at the exact same time. It can even just be like, you know, a rate, you know, if you, if you do like a podcast in your community, just like, you know, leave a comment, it's going to come out at this certain time of week. Like everyone can come and like leave a review, leave a comment or something like that. And like almost do it async slash together, um, within the same hour or something. So you've already got that going to AMA. So kudos to that. Um, your second question. Okay. According to you, what do you consider the highest value that defines a solid community builder? Um, yeah, I was thinking about this one. I would want to say one thing that really I really learned from on deck is really this idea of like meeting people where they're at and I think I didn't really fully understand what that was until you actually get to you know meet all your members of your community and understand all the variety of contexts that they come to your community from again whether it's you know the day that they're having at work what's going on with their family you know some of their personal life so really striving to like understand where people are coming from and meeting them where they're coming from so Examples of that we use it on deck are just like if somebody is, you know, looking to talk to somebody about fundraising, not just kind of like dropping their name, but like in, in like a DM on Slack, but like actually linking to their profile and even just going a step further of like, do you want to set, like me to set up an intro for you? I think that kind of compassion really marks like a really high value community manager. Um, and I'd say the uh, the, the mental framework that we use at on deck is, is just like make good days. And what that does is kind of like takes the stress off of like making sure everyone is perfect at all times. Um, and like forever into the future, and that's totally out of your control. But if you could just make that day good, just for one person, um, and just like make their day, just taking that. That's all the questions that we had today, folks. We want to hear from you, our dear listeners. If you have any feedback, questions or suggestions for our future episodes, we'd love to hear from you. 
You can reach out to us at community at thero.com or by directly DMing us in the Community Champs community. Thank you so much for tuning in. Stay tuned for more episodes of the Community Decoded podcast.